You are listening to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Sevierville, where our mission is helping people move from their point of need to hope in Christ. For more information about our church, head on over to severe.church. Today's sermon, The Sheep and the Goats, will wrap up the series, Begin with the End in Mind, shared by Senior Pastor Dan Spencer. Well, thank you so much to our choir and our orchestra today. Uh, Pastor Scott, thank you. I don't know when I've enjoyed uh, just singing along with our choir in worship uh, like I have in the last couple of months as we've been talking about the end times. Uh, So I'm going to ask you to please find with me Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. We're going to pick up there and bring this series of sermons called Begin with the End in Mind to a conclusion today. As you're finding that, uh, as, uh, as a child, I collected joke books. Uh, the little flyers they sent home from school where you could uh, buy books and uh, they would be delivered to the school. Uh, I always bought joke books. And my parents would buy me joke books for Christmas and birthday and all that. I learned a lot of those jokes. I would memorize them and then tell them to my family and my teachers and uh, my brothers and sisters. And one of those jokes that I learned early on that always got a laugh goes like this. A guy goes to the doctor to get the results of some tests. And the doctor comes in and he said, sir, I've got good news and I have bad news. What do you want first? The man said, well, I guess give me the bad news first. And the doctor said, well, the bad news is you have 24 hours to live. And the man said, "Uh, well, uh, and I got that backwards. It's been a long time. I'm sorry. The man said, give me the good news first. The good news was, bear with me. The doctor said, the good news is you have 24 hours to live. The man said, well, gracious, if that's the good news, what's the bad news? The doctor said, I was supposed to tell you that yesterday. (laughs) Even if you mess it up, it's still a good joke. Today we're going to hear about uh, how Jesus taught his disciples about future judgment when some will hear good news and some will hear bad news. And you may be surprised at how Jesus says that will be decided. Good news and bad news. For seven weeks now, we've been listening to Jesus teach His disciples in Matthew 24 and 25. This is a, uh, and it's an understatement really to say, this is a super significant section of Scripture. Because in it, uh, we find Jesus telling what's going to happen in the future. It's such a significant passage of Scripture that it has a name. It is called by two names, really. Uh, one is the, the eschatological discourse of Jesus, meaning uh, that he talked about last things in this section. It's also called, because of the location where it happened, the Olivet Discourse. Uh, Jesus Uh, has gone now and he has sat down on the Mount of Olives, uh, also called Mount Olivet, and 
He takes this opportunity as he and his disciples have sort of a panoramic view of the city of Jerusalem. They can see the great temple there. Uh, Jesus is reflecting, I think, on all that he has done in Jerusalem, the significance of that place, what's going to happen there shortly, uh, three days later when he is going to be condemned to die in Jerusalem, and then they're going to put him on the cross. But, but furthermore, he's thinking way ahead of some prophecies that are going to take place in the city of Jerusalem. And so on the Mount of Olives, just three days before he goes to the cross, Jesus teaches his disciples about the end times and about his second coming. And, and I believe he did that to give them clarity on on the significance of what is happening in their lives at that moment, what would happen three days later, and what's going to happen in the future. And just knowing that Jesus has a plan, and like we just sang, someday the king is coming back, and uh, he's going to set everything right. And so as we get to the end of this teaching, Jesus has already revealed to his disciples his plan for the future. He's given them some signs to look for that the end is near. His second coming is, is close. And he's given them some warnings to live by until he comes. In chapter 25, Jesus uses three parables. These uh, earthly stories that have a spiritual meaning. He gives them three parables to teach his disciples and by uh, the miracle of God's Word to teach us, His followers today, how to wait for His coming. How do we live? What do we do? What is our focus until He comes? Uh, he tells a, a parable about bridesmaids at a wedding to, uh, to drive home the point that we need to be prepared for His coming at any time. He gives the parable of, of three managers uh, to drive home the point that we need to take care of business that he left us with until he comes. And this last parable illustrates the fact that all of human history is leading up to one event of final judgment. And we read about that in verse 31, Matthew 25 Verse 31, and we're going to read to the end of this chapter today. Jesus said, when the Son of Man, now that was his favorite term for himself, he's speaking of himself, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. Now notice the timing here. Uh, this is what Jesus talked about. Uh, back in chapter 24, beginning in verse 30 or, or 31, uh, the great tribulation ends with the second coming of Jesus. His second coming, uh, listen, His second coming will not be like the first time He came, when He was born as a little baby boy in Bethlehem and laid in a manger. The first time Jesus came, He humbled Himself to become a man. He had a mom he got hungry, he got tired, he self-limited his, uh, his privileges and abilities as God. 
The first time Jesus came, He laid aside His glory. He allowed Himself to be mistreated and to be mocked and to be denied and and then rejected and killed. That's the first time He came. But Jesus makes it clear the next time He comes, He will descend from heaven with great glory and power. He will, he will be seen by everyone in all of His blinding glory. Everyone will know who He is the next time He comes. He will be leading an army of angels the next time He comes. He will be recognized as the Lord of all. He will be enthroned in His rightful place as King over His kingdom. And He will gather all the nations of the world together. The second time he comes. And his first order of business in his second coming, as he is seated on his throne there in Jerusalem, is that he will pronounce judgment on individuals from every race and every nationality in the world. Verse 32 continues, Jesus said, all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. Now, uh, some people want to argue about exactly when that judgment is going to take place in the sequence of the rapture of the church, the great tribulation, the second coming of Jesus, his millennial reign on the earth. Those events are going to happen in a certain sequence, but I don't think that is the primary lesson of this parable. I don't think this is really a lesson about the timing of Jesus' plan. I believe the main point of this story is to impress on us the reality of judgment and being ready for it when Jesus returns. And the truth is, that could be at any time. And so Jesus uses this Uh, This image of a shepherd separating the sheep from the goats. He said, that's what it's going to be like in the end when I judge the nations. Now that image would not have needed any explanation at all for Jesus' disciples. Uh, It was very common. In Israel, shepherds often had sheep and goats in the same flock during the day. In fact, once the sheep were shorn, the sheep and the goats from a distance would would look exactly alike. But then at night, the shepherd would separate the sheep from the goats. The sheep, which are more docile and defenseless, would be herded into a pen called a sheepfold. But the goats, which were more aggressive by nature, were left outside of the sheepfold. And so it was a common sight to see a shepherd in the evening separating the sheep from the goats. And that's the picture Jesus uses to describe how he's going to judge all people when he returns. Verse 33, Jesus said, and he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. No offense to all the lefties in the room, but in Bible times, the right hand was considered the place of favor, and the left hand was not. (laughs) 
the sheep on his right, the goats on the left. And verse 34 says, Then the king will say to those on his right hand. Now, by the way, Jesus is being very direct here about his identity. He's not hiding the fact that he is the king who will return in glory and sit in judgment over the nations. And he explicitly, I believe for the first time in his ministry, calls himself the king here in verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him. And listen to how they were just disoriented. The righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Now take a moment and let that sink in. What Jesus is saying. When you serve one of the people Jesus loves who is in need, Jesus considers it as if you did it directly to him. And when you ignore one of the people Jesus loves who is in need, he takes that personally too. Verse 41 says, Then he will say also, To those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord... When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I found uh, three questions that this parable answers. I want to share those with you today. And uh, there is so much in here, it's impossible for us to talk about all that this means. But I want to at least give you these three questions this parable answers. The first one is this. Who will go to heaven? Who will go to heaven? This judgment that Jesus pronounces to the sheep on his right hand is... Come you who are blessed by my Father into the kingdom I have prepared for you. In in verse 46, he says the righteous will go into eternal life. He's talking about heaven here. 
But to the goats on his left hand, Jesus says, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. In verse 46, he said they're going to go into everlasting punishment. He's talking about hell. I don't think Jesus could get any clearer here. Heaven and hell, he's talking about where people spend eternity. Who goes to heaven and who is left out and consigned to hell? And so uh, the question is, who will go to heaven? And this parable answers that. I think in two ways. Who will go to heaven? According to Jesus, not everyone who thinks they will. Both groups, the sheep and the goats, will call Jesus Lord, he said. Both groups will apparently think that they're going to heaven. It's the same idea that's taught in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, where Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It seems that this parable of the sheep and the goats, uh, that's what Jesus is doing here. He's separating the real believers, the sheep, from the imposters, the goats. The goats represent false believers. The sheep represent authentic believers. But how does Jesus judge who's who? What is the criteria? Well, we have to accept that Jesus has divine knowledge. He knows. Remember Jesus said in John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep. He just knows. But the only difference he reveals in this parable between the sheep and the goats, those who go to heaven and those who go to hell, is what they did or did not do when they had opportunity to follow the example of Jesus. Now we know that Uh, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We know that a person has to hear the gospel, repent and believe. They respond in faith and they are saved. But what Jesus highlights here is that it's what the sheep and the goats did do or did not do when they had the opportunity to follow the example of Jesus. What did the disciples see Jesus doing over and over again? What example did he set? Well, everywhere he went, he reached out to people who were needy and hungry and desperate and sick and in trouble, and he helped them. And so he's saying in this parable, those who do that belong to Jesus, and those who do not are not his. So, uh, you may wonder, is Jesus teaching here that we are saved by the good things we do? Or that we can earn points in our favor? The more good deeds that we do for others in need? Uh, No. Jesus is, is, I believe, saying this. And, And if you miss everything else I say, please hear me on this part because... 
uh, this is so important. I don't want to be misunderstood. Jesus is saying here through this parable, there is no way you're mine if you don't care about what I care about. There's no way you are mine if you don't love people like I love people. Because when I save a person, I change their heart. In the end, it will be proven who is truly His and who is not His by this test. Are you actively helping people move from their point of need, whatever that might be, to find hope in Jesus Christ? Because saving faith transforms you from the inside out. Saving faith in Jesus uh, transforms you from selfishness to compassion. From being self-centered to being a servant. And so, uh, just to be plain about it, who will go to heaven? Not everyone who thinks they will. Only those who have been transformed by Jesus to serve the people He loves and to be actively involved in His mission. According to Jesus, that is what He is looking for. That is the true test of discipleship. That is the indicator of genuine saving faith. Not what your mouth says, but what your life says. Now, this parable answers a second question, too. The question is, can you just be a lukewarm Christian and go to heaven? Or do you have to be a sold-out Christian? Now, if you're not familiar with the concept of lukewarm Christians, that comes from Revelation chapter 3, where Jesus criticized the church for being full of members who were lukewarm. And He says this in Revelation 3.15, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That's what Jesus said. So lukewarm Christians are the ones who sit in church and they believe the preaching, but they're not really sold out to Jesus. And they're not meaningfully engaged in his mission in the world. They're just kind of sitting there. And they don't do anything really bad, but they don't really do anything that good either. It's not like they're running with the devil, but they aren't really following Jesus very well either. That's the kind of lukewarm Christian Jesus describes here, I think, in all three parables of Matthew chapter 25. In the first one, the bridesmaids who expect to be on the guest list for the wedding, but they were not found faithful in their assignment that they were supposed to do when the groom arrived. And so they were shut out. The wicked servant in the next parable considered himself to be a part of his master's business, but he never did anything with the talent the master gave him. And in this parable, 
The goats didn't love the people Jesus loves. They didn't serve the ones that Jesus put in front of them to serve. Lukewarm Christians. Now, what has really bothered me this week and what I'm still trying to deal with and process as I've studied this parable is that in the parable of the sheep and the goats, I can't find any place for lukewarm Christians there. Because there's no middle category. There's no third option. You're either, in the end, a sheep or a goat. You're either committed to Jesus, committed to loving people out of a heart that Jesus has changed. You're either sold out to His mission, using your resources for His kingdom, or you are not. And and that puts lukewarm Christians in a very dangerous position. There's, There's just a great big question mark for me. I told you that I think this parable answers three questions. This second question, can you just be a lukewarm Christian and go to heaven, or do you have to be a sold-out Christian? I, I, I think let's just let the Holy Spirit teach us from this parable, the answer to that question today. Uh, Question number three. This parable answers, what can I do to serve the least of these? Jesus said, what you've done for the least of these, what you've not done for the least of these. Uh, So what can I do to serve the least of these? Well, according to Jesus... It's simply about meeting the needs of people around you with what God has given you to share. And it doesn't have to be complicated. In fact, everything he says here is so simple that it requires no special skills. Giving a bag of groceries, giving somebody a bottle of water, giving somebody some clothes, showing a little hospitality, making a visit, just being present for somebody in trouble in the name of Jesus. Simple acts of service that flow out of a heart where Jesus lives make a big difference. That's what you can do. You can do that. And if you, I think this is the point of this parable, if you are a true Christian, you will do that. Let me say it another way. If you are a true Christian, You are doing that, and you naturally do things like that. Because the the DNA of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, is within you, and He has transformed your heart. As a church, the closer we get to the second coming of Jesus, with all the resources that we have, all the people we have, all the skills and talents the Lord has given the people in this room, we're going to do that in the days ahead in a greater way, on a greater scale than any of us have ever been a part of before. Uh, Something uh, in the works that we're calling the Ministry Village. 
Now, I think that term has uh, confused a few people who think we're going to move people in here to apartments or condos or something on our campus. Uh, but think more along the lines of the village shops in Gatlinburg. Have you ever been there? It's an area you walk into. There's all kinds of little shops in there. And what we're envisioning is a, 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 an area on our campus where people can walk in and have all kinds of needs met. And they'll be met with, I pray, the kind of love and, and servant heart and hospitality and, and meeting of needs that Jesus talked about in this parable. And there are all kinds of needs that we're going to be able to meet. On any given week, between Sundays here at First Baptist Church, we have dozens of people walk through the doors of our church asking for help. A meal, a room, gas money. They show us prescriptions for medicines they need. They tell us the story of how they got in the predicament that they find themselves in. They ask for prayer. Some of them are high. Some of them are hungry. Some of them have just been uh, released from jail downtown, and they don't know where else to go. And sure, some of them are dishonest, but all of them are desperate, and all of them need Jesus. And what we see during the week through the doors of our church is just a sampling of what goes on in our community all the time. Things that the tourists never see, things that most of the locals don't want to see, but things we can't ignore. So many needs, so much hurt, so much struggling, so much lostness. And we've not really had a strategy for how to meet the needs, underlying the needs that we see every day. Uh, But we have a strategy now. We know at First Baptist Church how to meet practical needs that open doors for the gospel. This church, through the Christmas store, through helping hands, through hot meals for hungry hearts, through ESL classes, you've been doing that for years. And so we know how to, or what to do at that point of intersection between a person's practical needs and their spiritual needs. And we know how to take advantage of that and, and be ready to give the Word of God so that people can be saved while we're meeting their needs. Our plan is to leverage that skill that we have and multiply it to meet all kinds of needs uh, with a gospel purpose in a ministry village. Think about that. Our members, using the gifts and talents God gave us, Organized to do for our community what Jesus talked about in this parable on a big scale. And that's the kind of thing, Pastor Keith, I want our kids to grow up seeing. To see a church that loves our community in Jesus' name to the point that we're willing to do something we've never done before. So that we can reach people we've never reached before. And in the end... To hear these words. Come, you blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. 
I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And he said, these, the righteous, will go away into eternal life. Hey, one day the king is coming. And on that day and when he passes judgment on everyone, I want to be found on his right hand. I want you to be there. I want us all to hear, well done. You were a good and faithful servant. Let's stand together. And would you just join me in a word of prayer? And I want to give you an opportunity to uh, make a decision for Christ today. And by the way, something that um, blessed my heart this week as I was looking in that parable is that, you know, I see myself there. I'm so glad that when Jesus saw me sick in my sin, that He didn't ignore me. I'm so glad when He saw me uh, without the covering of His grace, just naked in my sin, standing before Him. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that He covered me with His grace and His love. I'm so glad that when He saw me hungry for truth and for love and for, for forgiveness, that He did not leave me out, but He, he loved me. And He loves you as well. And He will save you today if you'll turn from your sin and turn to Him in faith. And I pray you'll do that if that's what you need this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray for those who are lost that today they would be saved. As they call on You for salvation. Lord, I pray today is the day. Lord, for the rest of us, Lord, I've been so very challenged. I've been encouraged about your plan for the end. But Lord, these parables are uh, a lot to process. And I've been challenged to the core. Lord, I'm going to live in such a way that I'm not ashamed when you return. And that I'm about your business. I'm ready. I'm working. I'm loving and serving like you told me to do it. And God, I pray that that would not only be the heart of every single Christian in this room, but Lord, that that would be the heart of our church. And so Lord, I, I pray that you would continue to transform our hearts to love like you love and to serve like you served. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and share. And if you want a pastor to follow up with you regarding today's message, reach out to us at severe.church slash follow up. Thanks again for joining us on the First Baptist Church Severeville podcast.